Welcome to Layout de l'Armée, the Bolognese podcast where we discuss the intricacies of the Bolognese tradition. to part three of Bolognese Foundations. Welcome again, uh, Martin Hopner. Hi. <laughs> Good to be here again. Yeah, it's great to have you back, my friend. Uh, hey, Martin. Steven. What's up, Joshua? How you doing, bud? Doing great, man. Let's All do right, this. So, yeah, we're going to get a little uh, a little kinky today, and we're going to talk about feet. Um, Spicy. <laughs> I'm going to cut that part out. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right. So um, we're going to talk about footwork because obviously, um, you know, footwork is a foundation of fencing. Um, I I think there's a quote from a later fencing master that actually says that footwork is the foundation of all fencing and that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the most important aspect of fencing. I can't remember who it was. I'm just, you know, pulling something out of my memory hole there, but uh, I do remember that. And uh, so we're going to talk about footwork. Um, so you've got a sword in hand. You're in guard. Now it's time to move. Well, let's fight. Um, so is it hand before foot? Disco fever? No, oh, sorry. I was feeling bush. That would be uh, our friend up in the north. That would be uh, George Silver. Um, but l- let's talk about footwork. So let's kind of start out with our, our first foot piece of footwork, which would be our passing step. So let's, uh, let's kind of define how we view the passing step. This is foundations. So okay. it's a passing step, Martin. Yeah. So passing step, basically the way that everybody should know how to move to put one feet in front of the other. Um, let's first make clear that like all of these kind of steps can be done in a line towards the opponent or away from them. But it could also just as easily be done on a diagonal or laterally. So Morozzo actually gives us like his senyo, which is more or less two thir- circles, a big one, an outer circle, and an inner one, which probably would make all Spanish people here really happy. And then uh, <laughs> like a little star-shaped pattern around the inner circle. So like there are a lot of lines on the ground, but... Uh, it all comes down basically to to get it into an advantageous position, and the passing or full steps are in general like the easiest way to to cover a lot of ground quickly. But you in general have to like shift your body weight and turn your body as well. Yeah, how about you, Stephen? How do you view the passing step? All right, well, uh, I can't do it in short, so I'll do it as quick as I can. All right, so the passing ah, step is the foundation step of Bolognese swordsmanship. It is why we start with a forward-weighted posture than a backward-weighted posture because that facilitates the angular movement of the passing step. Uh, the primary passing step, in my opinion, in Bolognese swordsmanship is a step at a f- approximately 45-degree angle relative to the line between the two fencers. Um, the reason, There's lots of reasons for that, uh, the primary being... Um, 
that it covers you most effectively than if you were to step straight at somebody. So when you move at an angle relative to your opponent, you are either creating time for yourself in order to react to your opponent's action, or you are, if you're passing into the direction of their blade, then you're allowing your body to push their weapon aside. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple... Uh, one of the big questions that has come up is whether the passing step begins by pulling the rear foot in towards the front foot and then passing it forward, or whether it goes directly to the target. I kind of prefer the second one, where basically the foot, when you're in guard, your rear foot is generally at about a 45-degree angle relative to the line for stability, right? Front foot's pointing at the enemy. And so you just continue moving it on the line in which it's already wanting to go. Um, and then there's always the question of do you land heel first or um, ball of the foot first? And I think that one, you know, it kind of depends. But I will say that for myself, I found that trying to land ball of the foot first ended up hurting my knees so that I wanted to stop fencing. So I'm going with not doing that and allowing the shock absorption effect of the arch to facilitate that. And also... The other thing is by moving at an angle, we then set up the follow-up steps, whether it's going to be the compass where we turn and correct the angle to our opponent, or whether we make the traversing pass following where we push against directly against them. Cool. Yep. All right, Josh, what's your take? Yeah, so uh, I think there are a few uh, key mechanics to a passing step that really kind of make it effective, um, and that is kind of like what Steven said, generally um, we are either uh, in profile with our, let's say that we're in Porta de Ferrostrata, we'll take Porta mm -hmm. de Ferrostrata as our start, or Cota Longa Alta. Either way, we have a, a 90 degree, or a 45 degree, well, a 90 degree, roughly, um, framework of our feet. You know, we, we have this kind of a T-shape. And so um, when you're, usually when you do a passing step, there's kind of a, a turn of the back foot as well, at least the way that I, I teach it. Mm -hmm. um, where uh, you allow the, the back foot to also turn to recreate that 90 degree on the other side. So like if I was in Porta de Ferro Strata and I was passing, and let's say I was cutting a reversal from Porta de Ferro Strata into Cotaloma Alta, um, I would pass and then I would allow that rear foot to turn and reorient. So now I have a 90 degree on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, what that does is it basically turns your hips from profile to one side to profile on the other okay. um, and allows for a full turn of the body. Um, the interesting, you guys brought up some interesting takes on the on the mechanics of uh, of, of passing steps that I, I think are pretty interesting. Maybe we can discuss a little bit. Um, in that, with a, a passing step, um, so Stephen, you were you were kind of implying that like you you prefer that passing step to go on an angle. Mm -hmm. um, can you elaborate on that just a little bit more? Sure. Um, so. I started fencing when I was 40, so I was old and slow, and so I had to create time for myself because I couldn't do it by just being more athletic than my opponent. So generally, the way I teach it is um, if, you have found, if you have not found your opponent's weapon, so there's no advantageous angle, then when you're making contact with your opponent's weapon or your opponent, you want to move away from the bind that is going to happen because that gives you more time to react to what they do and it makes it harder for them to disengage around it and 
if they do try to disengage around it, it will then put them at a disadvantageous angle. So that's why I almost always try to go at a 45 degree angle. Of course, when you're sparring and there's so much vertical movement, that angle is going to become narrower and narrower. Um, but I think that when you're drilling and you're practicing, the more angle that you have, the way less likely you are to go into the default, which is to just move like a fencer, basically. <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting. I, I see that as kind of being a very wide play approach. Um, I, I, have a, I have a bit of a different approach um, where I, I usually would take that passing step more direct into my opponent, mostly because I feel like with those wide steps and maybe this is better saved for when we talk about wide play and narrow play, but uh -huh. um, just kind of tease it a little bit um, or at least and in, in hearing that um, as like kind of like a foundational like because I think there's that variation of what Martin was kind of saying where it's kind of like you could you could take a passing step in any way you know there's no uh -huh. like right or sure. wrong about it um, it can it's just a, a kind of a mode but um, if you if you default to wide all the time to that 45 then sometimes being direct into that 45 can counter that if that makes sense like if you're if you're trying to go and create that angulation sometimes the best way to counter angulation and and width is to go very direct into the direction of their width you can kind of interrupt that movement if, if you keep your motions kind of relatively small so I think one of the differences is I don't teach students that they shouldn't try to double. And so the <laughs> only way, because I gave up trying that and saying that that was a bad thing, I just assumed it's human nature and that's how they're going to react. Uh -huh. And so when you move straight, you're usually giving up mechanical advantage when you extend your weapon, and you're also losing angular advantage because you're moving direct relative to your opponent. And so I find it more challenging to avoid getting into double type of situations. And I suspect that the same would have been the case um, way back in the day because I think these are just innate uh, human tendencies, basically. Yeah. I think from my perspective, uh -huh. what, that, what it ends up creating is, especially if somebody is trying to play that wide like that, is um, the, the way to prevent that double is to pursue as a spot up, um, honestly. Right. But if you so if you, you try to wrestling. fight wide play, it like if you go direct into somebody like mm -hmm. that, if you try to cut somebody off like that, you have to understand that you're committing to wide play. Right. But if you try if you try to pull out to wide play from that place, or you try to fight in wide a wide mode from that place, then you're gonna get you're gonna double for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's certainly which is hard to teach something, new students. Yeah, it's certainly something to to moving around the opponent in angles and the Spanish could talk a lot about drawing circles around your opponent to, to gain a line and also to secure their blade while you're, while you're engaging and presenting profile or frontal position. So I think there's definitely something to it moving diagonally. But uh, we also have to be aware that like the most direct line towards our opponent, well, that's uh, probably the straight line. So uh, sure. we need to, of course... If we are moving diagonally, we need to be covering that straight line as well. So now, if you were fencing somebody who was stronger and faster than you, so they could out-wrestle you, and they were quicker than you, would you change how you're moving? And who had no compunction about themselves being hit so long as they can hit you? Mm -hmm. How would that change your movement and your strategy? I, 
that's Manchialino to a T, right? Manchialino says, don't, don't wrestle with people that are, are bigger and stronger. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it's interesting because, um, I think Manchialino specifically, and I, I might have to check this here. Um, but I think Manchialino specifically says, don't wrestle with somebody that is bigger and stronger than you. Uh, and he doesn't say, don't get into Mezzospato with an opponent right. who is bigger and stronger yeah, than you. I think you. he, he keeps the distance and strikes towards the hands, right? Um, no, he does lots of getting in and, and wrestling with at the sword and stuff like that. But it's, he, if, you he move, does. if you come in at, at an angle, again, this is my feeling, if you come at an angle, then you have advantage over their sword. So when two swords cross, if one is lying direct on the line and the other one is at an angle over the line, the one at an angle over the line is in mechanical control. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's, that is definitely true. Um, and I, I, again, I think that's where usually, um, you know, when somebody does have mechanical control, the, the best thing that you can do to counter that, um, from my experience, is to allow them to have that strength and that control and go weak into it and create a mezzospada situation where you're, you're going into grappling, right? Of course, like you said, if you have a stronger opponent, a lot of times that, that can be dangerous. But I think that there's some mezzospada techniques that um, you have from both Manchialino and Morazzo that can actually provide some pretty um, cheeky counters to those type of actions. So, I don't know. Yeah, I got the, the quote from Manchialino towards uh, opponents who attack with great force here. So, yeah. uh, they are fencers who deliver their attacks with great force which tends to intimidate the opponent. Against those, you can do two things. The first is to let his blow pass and feint a parry and carefully push your own attack. The second is to rush, rush forward and parry before his attacks uh, gain momentum. You could also hit him in the hand, which would make him forget his forceful attacks. <laughs> Mancialino is a dick. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, there's he is. I love him. Um, there's another one that he talks specifically about um, a, a strong opponent and not grappling. Uh, let's see. A large person is to fight a small one uh, that's the choice of weapons mm -hmm. the choice of armor uh, here we go if you find yourself fencing a stronger and more powerful opponent by all means you should avoid going to grapples since in that case you'll be forced to lose as the weaker of the two and oh you're, you're muted Stephen Stephen you're muted I'm muted sorry I was muted. my bad yeah. What were you saying? Oh, I was saying that's why small guys came up with sword and dagger. <laughs> <laughs> and the know, Italians probably invented rapier and dagger fencing to keep the Germans from binding and kicking their ass in the wrestling because they were always bigger and stronger. It, it's funny because I have a friend, uh, one of one of my, my fencing, uh, one of the people that I just absolutely love to fence is this guy named Nate uh, at my school. And uh, he is... A six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds of solid muscle, Ooh, like fun. he is a linebacker, cool. and I'm I'm six foot three and you know two hundred and twenty pounds 
because of my dad weight. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that being table muscle. <laughs> the less solid version thereof. <laughs> I've really embodied Italian fencing, especially with the pasta. <laughs> um, so, uh, but it's funny because I, I do love fencing, Nate, because it's one of the few times that I actually get to fight somebody that is bigger and stronger than I am. Right. And, um, it is, it, I, I get it. Like there are times where I will try to press him as a spot and go into a press and I will try to get close with Nate and he is so strong that I just, I'll get to his outside elbow and it's a press that I can get on like 99% of human uh-huh. beings and except for him. Up. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's like, but it, it's good because it gives me an opportunity to really exercise those other mesospotted techniques. You know, I can't rely on the things that I normally rely on when I'm the bigger fencer. I have to be a little bit more clever, right? right? Because I can still get him, if I can get to his sword arm and I can get to that elbow and start to press, I can get him to commit with, you know, strength there. And then that allows me to, that's when I would disengage my sword and try to go for something where I've got his arm occupied up top. Right. So, um, we should do an immense spot episode in the future. We should probably get on back to the footwork because we have so we many should get steps back to, to cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so, so let's get back to footwork and yeah. uh, just uh, yeah. leave it at uh, if someone rushes towards you in a direct line, probably yes. stepping out of the way to the side. So lateral footwork has yeah. a special way value. It works for both well. fighters. It'll work for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a. I think there was one more thing that I wanted to kind of bring up about the. Um, the passing step in general. And uh, I totally forgot what it was because we went off on that tangent. So that's okay. Let's move on. Like uh, Martin brought up later- lateral footwork. So let's let's talk about lateral footwork. Let's just kind of add another step in there that we, we didn't really have. So um, Martin, why don't you talk about lateral footwork? That was a nice transition. Yeah, so um, for once, if someone's rushing towards you, probably a good way to get out of the way because if you're just moving backwards well uh, it's always kind of hard to to know what's immediately behind you especially if there's uneven ground or some stuff in the way so moving laterally has has quite an advantage there it also creates these uh, better angles but i also like i'm a bit um, advocator for lateral movement after going towards the opponent so as we are not dealing with only attacking, but also like defending ourselves in the next mm-hmm. action. Um, it's what I think quite a bit easier to, to get your momentum into another direction that is not the direct one backwards. So if you just move f- forward and you want to move directly backwards, you have to stop all your momentum and basically you have to accelerate again to, towards the back. While when you are moving laterally with the next step, then you can create the same kind of distance, uh, but way easier. So I think their lateral movements is also really valuable. And there we also see like these following steps, which we'll get into today as well. Cool. Yeah, because that's that's Dalagoke to a T, right? I mean, that's basically like he he says to always reposition your body behind your sword. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So do you guys, Stephen? Well, Stephen, go ahead with your. Um, Lateral footwork. How do you feel about lateral footwork? I don't know. What is non-lateral footwork? <laughs> non-lateral footwork is a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Except in sword and small buckler. So it makes sense when you have a small buckler to actually do straightforward steps. But otherwise, I if I watch myself and I see myself making 
you know, straightforward movements, I, I would consider that I had made a mistake. So I really, I never teach anybody to move straight. Uh, there's, there's never, almost in no situation that I know of, does it make sense to go directly at the opponent. You either go into the direction where their sword is going to be meeting yours or where away from that direction because you're trying to gain angle or you're trying to press through. So, I think so Dalagoki I, I, I don't, would actually I don't disagree recognize with that. <laughs> well, Dalagoki, I hope he would. He's not no, I think, so. think Manchiolino would too. Like, you, you gain the center. Wow, like, we'll get into that in tactics. I'll leave, I'll leave it alone. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah. So all my footwork um, is based on tactics and the, the sources. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I feel like when Morozo says to step straight at someone, he's not doing he's doing that to indicate that that's not the normal way of doing that and in this case you are stepping straight toward at, right at somebody otherwise it's assumed that you will be moving sideways yeah um so one of the ways that we can also approach our opponent um is with uh, a gathering actually you know what before we do that and i remember what i was thinking with that last one mm-hmm. um stance overall in stance like in footwork, a lot of footwork is balance, right? And so when we were doing the passing step, I wanted to kind of bring this up. Sure. Uh, about how much space do you guys put between your feet? <laughs> um, so for me, it's easy. You know, we practice on wet grass a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So I just always tell my students, just walk like you would when you're on wet grass and you don't want to fall on the ground. So anyway. that's usually about a shoulder width apart somewhere, but, you know, kind of. About a shoulder width apart between the feet. Okay. So that's probably like a good like two or three inches between three three or four inches between probably. Between feet? Oh no, they'd be shoulder so six the feet. six 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 feet. So <laughs> the feet are probably eighteen inches apart, something like that, fifteen inches apart, something like that. So like a step or Oh yeah. You're you're talking about like uh I'm I'm talking about oh, yeah, so, okay, yeah, we, we could talk about that, too. Because like, I guess we're going to have to talk about width and length, right? So um, you're talking about length, about 18. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense, right? Yeah. How about you, Martin? Um, yeah, so I just, again, would go with Dalagokia here, taking uh, neither a pace too, too small or too large, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it's of greatest utility or something like well, that. Well, who would have thought? I was thinking that the big step is always the way to go so there are big steps there are also small steps right they all have their value but usually you want to have a a step which um, leaves all your options open and that is like one that doesn't discomfort you so being in a really wide stance really hinders your ability to widen your stance even more Uh to to close that gap or to, to get away as well so yeah it's like two or th- yeah, like shoulder wide step uh, pace or something like this. I think Manchulino says about something like this as well, like having the feet not too far away as well. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he says to have, um, I think it's a measured stance, is the way that he describes it. Mm-hmm. Give it like half an arm or something like that. A half a brachio. <laughs> yeah, a brachio. that sounds about right. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to. Uh, so the first time I ever sparred, I fell down within about 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. So my footwork is always based on the idea of I don't want to fall down anymore. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair, yeah. yeah. 
I actually have that Mancellino quote. Um, oh, great. It is entirely genteel and profitable thing to be playing to step equally with one or the other foot according to the time and the need. Nonetheless, it seems to me that stepping with even feet is of greatest utility because thus uh, one can be uh, both advance forward and retreat back but, uh, without inconvenience of the body. Adding this as well, um, that a man plays more strongly thereby than in other positions. And when I say with even feet, I mean that the feet must be not more distance than something beyond half a span. Um, yeah, mezzo brachio, uh, accompanying always the hand with the foot and the foot with the hand. Hmm. Nice. Poetic. As he yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what about width-wise? Like how, how much do you keep your feet apart width-wise? Oh, like you if mean you're like the, on train tracks. On a train track. Uh, I don't know that they're apart at all. Let's see. Yeah, so I just go by whatever feels natural. That's not like a natural. that one's not a conscious choice. Yeah. Yeah, same here. There, there are um, moments where I have them in a direct line, so both heels in a line towards the opponent. Like especially if I'm going deep. Uh, other times they're basically just under my shoulders, and depending on how much I'm in profile or in a frontal position, that with. <laughs> Yeah. So for me in particular, one of the things that I, I, I like to emphasize for balance is usually to keep them about a hips width apart. So okay. um, just so that way, feet a hips width apart. Mm -hmm, roughly, um, yes. just so that way, which puts about like three or four inches between your feet. That's what I was talking sure. about earlier. <laughs> yeah, got it. Um, mostly uh, just because like for passing steps and things like that, when you have those mechanics of like what Steven was saying, um, you know, kind of the passing step being set up by your, your feet orientation it allows one foot to pass. And then it's basically the hip rotating through that axis, um, going back through. And then you kind of have this nice, um, balanced approach. And it, it kind of also means that when you go into an extended position, you're not overextending to the point where then you could potentially lose your balance. So, just the way that I approach it. Yeah, that sounds solid. I never really thought about the importance of keeping that hip width but that, that does seem like the most secure way to stand yeah it's a little awkward at first um trying to kind of get that especially when you're in profiled stances but um once you learn how to do it and like actually sink your butt down into your guard um then it becomes really easy cool um okay so let's talk about the gathering step so uh the gathering step the 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 manchiolino special literally his way to approach with his Strindreus base on every single action that he gives, the gathering step. Uh -huh. All right, Martin. Yeah, basically you're pulling your back foot towards the front and only after you have that close position with really narrow feet, then you extend once again. And it's actually a topic of a lecture I held uh, a week ago or something like this. I really think it's, it's quite ingenious to, to move the body only forward when the back foot closes because also like uh, Dalagokia says, while moving the back foot is a tempo as well, it's not as a big tempo as moving the front foot because uh, in essence, if we lift the back foot, our body weight is still behind the front foot. So it's quite easy to, if something goes wrong, to just push us away from the front foot as well. Well, if we are move, uh, lifting basically the front foot and we're moving forward, we are falling forward. So up until the point 
that we place the front foot again, we can't switch directions anymore, which makes it such a great tempo also for our opponents, which we'll also talk about later, but to <laughs> yeah. attack us. So it's, it's, it's quite dangerous. So really that gathering step is the safest way to get yourself into measure and put pressure on your opponent. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I usually serenade my, or my, my students when I'm teaching them about the, the difference between a gathering step and a passing step with a, a song from the Phantom of the Opera, The Point of No Return. You know, it's like, <laughs> the point of no return. <laughs> <laughs> because when you do that passing step, there's a point, there's a, a terminal point, which is that tempo, right? And this is kind of, like you said, we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but, um, you know, in the tempo of the step, there's a point where when that back foot passes past that front foot, there's nothing you can do to bring that foot back. Like it's, you're committed on that step. Um, and there's, there's like a half tempo where your opponent is just absolutely at your mercy. If you can take advantage of it, it's fast, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty interesting. How about you, Steven? Uh, well, since you bring that up, um, so I think before I bring, before we go any further, there's three, as I've figured it, there's three groups of muscles involved in moving the foot forward. There's the, we'll call them the rear end muscles. That's where where you get the power from and that's where you kind of like drop and drive into something then there's the swinging muscles that are kind of on the outside of the hip that you would activate in passing and then what is really useful to have is the hip flexors so those are the muscles that are relatively weak on the front of the leg that you can actually pull your leg forward with in such a way that um it uh it doesn't have that much momentum and i think that's important for the gathering step because in the gathering step, you can just, since my gathering steps are always at an angle, they're never right up behind because everything I do is lateral, or if I don't, I'm making a mistake. It's a swinging motion to bring the rear foot into place, which does bring you closer. But then when you actually make the commitment, you can make the commitment with the hip flexor, so the muscle on the front of your leg pulling that leg forward and if you've made a mistake I find it very easy when you're doing that motion to pull it back and to actually in that swinging you can pass back with that foot and get a lot of distance out um, that you can't do in a passing step and so the gathering step is a way to uh, move like you're saying to move forward in such a way that you can most secure most uh, most secure yourself in case of a sudden action by your opponent. Yeah. There's a there's a default oh shit moment that you can mm -hmm. pull back, right? Like it's right. you're not committed. Yeah. But usually if that's the case you've made a mistake because you should have already been covering for any of those moments in your gathering step. But You should, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um yeah, I think that's interesting, right? Cuz I think what you what you speak to I think is really actually interesting highly highlighted um, in Manchialino's Gorde de Soto Brachio and so or Sopra Brachio, um, mm -hmm. attacks in book one of, uh, of his opera Nova. Um, he has this mechanic where that's kind of his basic approach with the Sopra Brachio, but there, you can either take it to the outside, you can finish that gathering step to the outside, or you okay. can make that gathering step go to the inside. So you can either take it to the left or the right. Right. And, uh, and he uses into that into the bind or away from the bind, right? Right, and and so he has different attacks with each, right? So one of them he does um, his, uh, you know, like you're you're cutting, 
a reverso to the outside and then basically fainting that reverso to come right back through the middle with the tramezone, you know, or if you want to go to the inside, you're, you're kind of cutting across your opponent's sword to go for that strong overbind. So then you can do a sagata, right? right. So, yep. and he does a slicing motion. So it's, it's pretty cool because it, it it's, um, yeah, I think that that's really well illustrated, um, through the plays. So yeah. And so Bracho is just a great card. Just, it's, it's really yeah. a great one to learn the principles of fencing from because you're yeah. starting in the most crappy situation to begin with, but you get all this flexibility as a result of it. That's why it's first ward, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the gathering step really is super prominent in all the Bolognese texts. In mm -hmm. Dalagoki as well, we have we have it in the Stringere basically almost the same used as uh, in Marozzo and Manjolino's Spadafilo plays as well, so with the sharp sword. But we also have it like right at the beginning of the defensive section, right? Where mm -hmm. he gathers the the back foot on the defense to then have the room and the space and the possibility to extend with the riposte. So the right. counterattack afterwards, especially if the opponent then just tries to retreat. And I would say that the gathering step it's usually not for me that I touch my feet or something like this. And it's usually also not linear. It's like uh, Dalaroki also says like, you move your feet in a way that you're always basically putting your back feet uh, behind your sword and behind mm -hmm. the opponent's attack as well. So like sure. if they attack to my left, I'm almost putting like my back foot behind the right. So I have like that turning motion in there as well. That's also yeah. how the anonymous says to start a fight as well. It's the same. Same. Yeah, we we have it in the provocations as well. Yeah. Gather forward. Yeah, that's the that is how the noble and valiant man I think starts a fight as well. So that's that's bread and butter Bolognese. Yeah. When you have a when you have a sword by itself, then you gather forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, doing the the beat on the gather and then the true attack uh -huh. on the yep. extension back again. That's also Dalagokia. Yeah. Yep, yep. It's uh, it's kind of a core mechanic. Um. I think uh, to kind of add to that too, uh, there's a, a little bit of a, one of the beauties of uh, a gathering step is that uh, you can use it in combination um, with a lot of different steps. So one of the things that I think is, is great about the gathering step is um, there's a hidden measure mechanic that's built into it where mm -hmm. like you can initiate your gathering step um, with an accrescimento to then gather to to gain a little bit of extra measure if you're sure. if you find yourself um, like where you want to make that safe approach into your opponent and they're a little bit too far away so there are ways that you can you can modify a gathering step it's it's kind of one of those things where um, it has a lot of use versatility in the way that you can approach it um, because you can initiate with the you can start with an accrescimento of the front foot then gather if you're too far away if you're closer to your opponent you can always shorten your gathering step by shortening the length that you bring that back foot forward because the terminal base of a gathering step will always be on the back foot sure yeah yeah right because it's the front foot that's moving forward first that also means that if you're using your back foot like when we were talking about the guards as a rudder for your your um for your hips and your defensive actions if you're you're profiling and changing that hip profile as you're defending yourself then you always have that built into sort of the half tempo. So you're starting out 
with a half tempo that brings you closer to your opponent, but not committed. And then if you do decide to commit, you always have that, that hip component built into your next action because your front foot going forward isn't fully uh, dependent. It's, it's the back foot that's primarily dependent. So you can change like mid, mid stance. So I think that's another kind of brilliant aspect of, of the tactics of using the gathering step in that way. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about the accrescimento, basically like the half step or something like in the widening of the stance, um, yeah. because I think it's fairly relevant as well. Um, so what, what do you guys think about it, the extending step or even the lunge? Yeah, so I'll start with this one. Uh, <laughs> it's funny you said lunge, right? Um, <laughs> because, I, and the reason I, I laugh at that, because... Um, you know, Mangiolino uses the accrescimento specifically to bring himself closer to his opponent to strike them after he's done that gathering step. So he's he's gathered in with his um, in his spotted aphilo section, uh, his sharp sword uh, alone. He's um, gathering into his opponent. I think it's his his very last one. He parries with the falso and then ends up doing an accrescimento to cut through his opponent um, with a uh, a mandrito. And um, it, it's interesting that he sort of extends himself forward with the body there because you come forward in that measured stance, you finished your measured stance as you're coming forward to provide your defense and then you're extending into your opponent with that accrescent. So it's kind of like a, you know, a proto lunge before Agrippa. It's interesting. But yeah, it's, it's basically just kind of, it's... Uh, and, you know, Marazzo does it too. I think he says there are a few times when he says extend the front foot a, uh, um, like a half step or something like that. Uh, sure. um, without saying crescimento, he just, you know, kind of describes it a, a few times. Um, I, obviously, he does the crescimento step, but um, there's, um, and I think there's another section of, of Manciolino too where he does something similar. And I'm forgetting it now, but I think that he does something akin to um, kind of allowing the front foot to go forward, kind of that half step um, mm -hmm. as he's he's driving a thrust. So um, it, it's definitely prevalent throughout. And yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like the way that I see it is once that front foot kind of starts to go forward a little bit, it extends the stance forward. It allows you to bring your shoulders forward. And then you can turn your body and really kind of like align your skeleton into your your thrust. It's kind of like going into a little bit more of an extended stance where the back leg goes straight and you're bending into that front leg. So, Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point there. There's kind of two ways of looking at the accrescimento slash lunge. One is which you are just essentially extending your stance. You're going from a medium stance to a wide stance or a narrow stance to a medium stance, that kind of thing, which is, I think, tactically and fundamentally different than lunging forward to strike. Um, yeah. Which the Anonimo, so far as I know, gives lots of examples of accrescimenti that are angular in nature. Not They're not usually to strike, but to essentially to gain an angle. Uh, most notably, mm -hmm. like, say, his when he's in Porte de Ferro Stretta or Cordelunga Stretta and he's defending a strike to the inside, then you are to take a small, like a three-inch step with the yeah. foot. So you're just, you know, widening your guard and changing the angle a little bit. I I mean, there's probably one kind of lungy thing in there, um, but I 
don't know of any. I, I have found lungy stuff to be very useful, though, with spears. Uh, spear, I think, is the nature of it doesn't lend itself quite as well to angular footwork as does the sword. Probably because it doesn't have a guard. All right, what are your thoughts, Martin? Yeah, so I think, like, in essence, like the half-step accrescimento is just moving the front foot first instead of moving the back foot closer first, mm -hmm. so extending the step. And it definitely is prominent within the sources as well. Dalagokia, like, prefers it for counter-tempo actions, so attacking and defending yourself while the opponent attacks you. He says something along the line that we, from a right forward, uh, right foot forward stance, we are pushing the right foot forward as well uh, into the opponent, parrying and attacking them in guardi di faccia with a uh, counter thrust, basically, and then following with a left step. But um, like going into these really deep lunges, I think it's also prominent before a gripper. Um, Angelo Vigiani is a great example who explicitly tells you to take that really deep and wide step from Guardia Dalicorno basically. So going uh, uh -huh. with a with a nice and wide thrust, like that the different kind of mechanic, the yeah. lunging motion into right. the, the opponent. Sometimes uh, to hit if you have gained all the advantages, most often though to provoke them to attack you. Right. I forgot about the accrescimento from Guardi Dalincorno. That's very true. Or Guardi di Lincorno in the uh, yeah. Dinanimo. I think everybody who strikes with an Alicorno usually does so from a kind of lunging step. Yeah, yeah. of course. Usually the, the basic stance is fairly close together there. Yeah. Just like in Guardia Alta, for example. So there right. you, you usually right. have to, to extend your stance somewhat as well. Right. Yeah, in, in Guardia Alicorno, it's essentially Guardia Alta when you don't have a buckler. Yeah, yeah, okay, yep. That's what I was going to say, but... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder, man. <laughs> no, no, it, it's, I'm, I, I think it's, it's great that we kind of find ourselves in the same, same yeah. veins there. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's interesting because Palladini talks a lot of crap about Agrippa in particular um, and in the length of his lunge. Um, you know, we, we see in the Anonimo and um, I think even... Even with like uh, what Martin had read earlier from from Manchiolino talking about like the width of your stance, not overextending yourself. The Anonimo talks about being able to fight on different surfaces, um, and uh, and a lot of that is like if anybody's ever tried to lunge on wet grass, it's a great way to like pull your groin or hamstring. It totally is one hundred percent. Yeah, if you, when you get older and smart, you learn. I'm just gonna kiss the ground here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, lost. Just fail gracefully. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, it's it's one of those things, and and when you're taller too, it, the more likely you yeah. are to to fall down oh, yeah. because that stance yeah. becomes very extended. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting, and that's that's kind of where like you know balance is is so important, and um, I think it's the Anonimo who has a really great breakdown um, talking about like the lithe movement of a dancer versus, mm -hmm. um, you know, the footsteps of a soldier. And he says basically that the lithe movements of a dancer, while they could provide that sort of je ne sais quoi to your fencing, don't necessarily really kind of like work within the, the overall framework of fencing. Right. Um, and Palladini, that's his criticism of Agrippa um, because Agrippa does take things all the way out to like, I don't know, like I can't remember what letter it is, but it's like, 
N or O, right? And that's where he's in this like super deep stance. Um, right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, but, you know, Palladini says that, that that wouldn't work. And Palladini is writing from the perspective of a soldier, somebody who is saying that you should learn to do this so that way you have that perspective on a battlefield. So, have you guys uh, read really, Monese? Really interesting. Huh. The cranky Florentine guy. He basically he no. doesn't have a fencing treatise, but he wrote a treatise criticizing other people's fencing treatises. Oh, he's all the best people. So he, <laughs> yeah, so he has this whole, like, uh, yeah, all your footwork is great, but if you consider that you're not, like, in a fencing cell, and there may be, I don't know, a crack in the ground or loose tiles or <laughs> all yeah. sorts of stuff, and it's like, in the streets, nobody fences like Agrippa is trying to tell you to do. Like, yeah. nobody tries to avoid, nobody does any of that stuff. They they basically make passing steps for the most part and land solidly. Basically, yeah. like Palladini is trying to describe. Yeah, you can actually sometimes really tell from from the kind of footwork that is described what's the context of it. So in Dalagoki as well, we have sometimes uh, footwork descriptions of, like, sliding the front foot, like really being close to the ground when, for example... Uh, quite a bit later, but Fabris uh, talks about footwork that you really have to lift the front foot because on, on even ground, well, it would be faster to just basically slide and slip the uh, front foot forward. It's basically, uh, it puts you in the danger of stumbling and falling over. Yeah. Right. So maybe this is the difference between guys who have actually fought with a sword versus an engineer who had some pretty cool ideas about, you know, <laughs> some awesome drawings and how sword fighting could work. So, yeah, well, I think like uh, fighting on on grass, on still on even ground, or in in a training hall. I think yeah. I see these like sliding motions being really close to the ground, like also in modern Olympic fencing. These are way more pronounced yeah. when uh, you put them in snow or something like this. Right. <laughs> you almost yeah, you, see you, like they're yeah. really lifting now the feet yeah. and stuff like this. So it's yeah, it's really nice yeah. to see. That's because yeah, Martin, you've, you've done you've done fencing in the snow. You have you've got right. some you great videos. Snow on where that. You are. Yeah. As a matter of fact, like the last two, like the two sword and buckler videos that I've done, one of them we did in the sand, oh, and cool. trying to do that in the sand was yeah. so difficult. Like I had exhausting, to I had to change my footwork. Yeah. Oh God, it's so so exhausting. I was <laughs> really I was drenched in though. sweat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can you can tell like through the progression of the video when when like we had started and my shirt was like. A light blue, and then at the end when it's literally just black because of how much I sweat. Yeah, it was horrible. But then the next time we did it, um, when we did the the sword alone video, we did it on basically what was a river rock, and it was wet and it was slick, right? And and it was also downhill. It was probably at a like a like a eighty five degree in decline, right? Which is was a Sweet. lot. I mean, it yeah. was we were literally fencing downhill. Um, it was so it was really interesting to to kind of like go through the footwork there, <laughs> and it was uneven. But that's good because again, like that was the ultimate test, and that's what we were going for: is let's see how extreme we can possibly make this, and how ridiculous we can make this. And uh, yeah, nice. So nice. It's always good, good to keep that in mind, right? That footwork is dependent on the surface, on the opponent, and also on the the kind of gear that you're wearing, stances right. as well. Ice, a tournament fought on ice would be an interesting thing to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and just, uh, just uh, take a dancing floor because, uh, like, uh, a few times we had just only access to like a dancing hall, and there it's, it almost feels like ice. 
It's really, oh, really? Pretty dark, it's yeah. that slippery, huh? Okay, it, cool. It, it really is. Yeah, you can good. also like just uh, fence on socks. That's that's also quite a nice feeling. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then, um, you know, now we've got our passing step, our gathering step, and then we've got our grand paso. So when did we uh, move from Bologna to Texas? What are we doing here? What's a grand paso? <laughs> that's a play on El Paso. Okay. Right. I'll go with that. Um, so, so it could mean in Italian simply big step. It might literally be, hey, hey, bro, take a big step, or it might be a technical term. Um, I personally think it's a technical term, but I wouldn't look askance at anybody who just thought it just means big step. Um, so it would be a step that would take you from a paso stretto, so a narrow stance, into a wide stance. Uh, so that's going to be as long as you can step, essentially. Uh, so that is actually going to be kind of more like your lunge. Um, mostly you see the grand posse in sword and small buckler, if memory serves, uh, from Guardia Alta. So you're coming in and you're trying to basically start the fight at the maximum distance that you can, and the grand paso is usually followed up by pulling the foot back and then fencing. So it's, uh, yeah, it's one that you have to, I find you start by pulling on the, with the front leg with the front of the foot leg and initiating it that way and then uh, swinging it and finally I think driving it into place yeah so uh, Martin what's your, what do you think about Gran Paso is it just a big step in essence yes <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> like um, the most prominent for me is like in the actually two handed sword section of uh, Achille Marozzo when he really fa uh, tells you that he favors uh, Guardian Trara and Lago Paso, so with the left right. foot forward. Mm -hmm. And there we usually have some kind of action where we throw maybe a mandrito at first, so something from our right. Then we go low towards the leg, and then we are stepping out towards the left, basically uh, covering ourselves in Guardian Trara, so having like a hanging position towards our upper right opening. So... There, I think it's like really that principle that I try to emphasize a bit earlier when we are going in. It's usually easier to, again, create distance by moving on some, some kind of uh, diagonal or laterally instead of just trying to go back, trying to basically stay in the pocket and then work from there. Where, for example, Marozzo then would, after covering his upper right side, then he throws the reverso towards the legs or towards the head of the opponent. Yeah. So I, I think that the grand passive, at least the way that I see it, is a tactical step. So um, I agree with the overall like idea of, I think, what you guys are getting at. with the It's like a, a swinging step. I think of it almost like ice skating. So going back to ice skating, like, you know, when you, when for people who can visualize this or who have skated, right? Um, like a rollerbladed, you usually kind of kick out almost like you're in a, I don't know, your, your foot's going in like a banana shape uh, or a hockey sh stick shape kind of motion, right? You're kind of like swinging it out and then you swing the other foot out. And so the times that I've seen uh, the Grand Paso used are oftentimes, um, like I think, I don't remember if Manchielino says this specifically, the way that I interpret the way he... Uh, wrote it for the, his two sword section is at the beginning of his two swords when you're approaching your opponent you do kind of this grand paso out and then step directly into them 
Um, and it's almost like you're, you're going to cut them off. Um, and the way that I see it tactically is, and, and I know he does this a lot with sword and buckler is usually it's like you, you create this like wide type step, this wide type motion. Um, and you get your opponent to basically turn towards you. And then that allows you to go direct into their movement of turning. So it allows you to kind of like get to their inside or outside and then go straight into creating that um, leverage over top of their sword, like what Steven was talking about earlier. So that's usually how I see that grand puzzle. Cool. Yeah, I think uh, another step that we need to talk about now on this side, especially after the grand puzzle, but also after doing a lunging or a, a crescimento kind of step, the following step, seguire. Uh, what, how do you guys employ that? Yeah, well, I, this is, this is uh, I think, for you two in particular, <laughs> this is your territory, right? Like Stephen's experience with the Anonimo and your experience with Dalagokie. And of, of course, I'll, I'll, I'll take it from Angiolino, though. Um, I'll kind of kick it off with him. Um, and, and a little bit of Morato, too. Um, you know, it's interesting that I, I see a lot of the footwork in Manchiolino go towards the center to kind of like control the center. And then once he has control of the center, usually once he is kind of going to his attack, like his, his defenses stays in very central and then his counterattacks go wide. So a lot of times you'll do a passing step to the opponent's outside. And then as you're kind of attacking, you're allowing that back leg to trail. Um, one of the things that I found that's actually super interesting a lot about some of the uh, mechanics of the way that Mancialino does his footwork and uses that back foot trailing is that um, a lot of times it creates a slicing, a natural slicing action, right? So if you were to cut to the leg, let's say I'm, I'm passing to the outside of my opponent and I'm cutting to their leg. If I let that back foot trail behind me, it's going to draw my sword across their tendons, which tendons, especially when they're taut, are like rubber bands. And if you slice into a rubber band, even with a butter knife, anybody knows that it's just going to pop, right? And that's kind of what happens with tendons. They're like rubber bands. So it's nice to get that drawing action, and that's how a sword should be used, you know? So when you do a cutting action, a lot of time you're not going to cleave through something, but you're going to strike, the, in the initial strike, you're going to bite with the edge of the sword into your opponent, And then that drawing action is what is actually going to do most of the damage. So, yeah, that's been my take on it too. But uh, Martin, why don't you go with your take on it? Because I'm I'm gonna need to talk at length a bit about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think like the the following step, Siguera, it's, it's like the the most important and also like best way to reorient your body towards the opponent. Like the logoki goes into quite a bit of depth of performing always two defenses, one with the sword and one with the body, basically getting your body behind your own sword and turning it in a way that your back shoulder moves away from the, uh, from the opponent's sword. So if they attack you with the mandrito, so towards your left side, you move your left shoulder towards your own right, so basically turning counterclockwise with your body. And if they strike on the other side, you basically also... Um, shifting towards your own left so always keeping basically your sternum towards the incoming blow or something like this it also is a great way once again to create that kind of lateral movement to create some distance uh, which i think the name or the modern name of compass steps comes from 
basically mm-hmm. having that uh, leftover momentum to carry it somewhere. The compass step, basically just letting the, the rear foot follow behind the front one. It's a great way to get out of way and realign. So you're towards the opponent and the opponent is hopefully pointing somewhere else. Okay, cool. Um, so I'm going to have to go into the Anonymo here because we, we talk about uh, the Anonymo speaks of the compass step or following step uh, in the same context that he's speaking about the traversing step. So I'm going to go ahead and read a quick passage from a very old translation here because I found it online. Okay, so what we have here is the traversing pass known as the passare di traverso and the triangle step, the passare di triangulo. Okay, and the traversing step is such that if you find yourself in Corlunga Strata with the right foot forward and you were to then pass the left foot in a long step toward the enemy's right side, such is called a traversing pass. And if you were to step away from that foot half an arm or more behind, that is to say deeper toward his left side, this footwork shall be called a triangle pass and not a traverse. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at the triangle pass, which consists of two pieces, right? So you have the initial step at an angle relative to your opponent. And as Martin has pointed out, when you do that, you're going to have this sort of angular momentum to your body. So it's very natural to then use that momentum to pull the other foot behind it, right, in the compass step, like you were talking about. And that's also, um, if you had a mat, if you could imagine, like Joshua was saying, that you had your sword up against a target, you would be slicing the target as you were making that compassing motion, right? Uh, one really important thing that if you're going to do the compassing step um, that I found out uh, is that you want to lead with the front foot. So you want to push off from the foot foot and not swing the rear foot behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you swing the rear foot, you're likely to cause stress and eventually damage to your knee. Because it's basically just like a giant socket and you're you're trying to swing a socket and that's going to put a lot of tension on the IT bands in the knee. So I always really, especially with my older students, really emphasize leading and pushing off with that front foot to create that compass step. Right? So then that gets us to the opposite, which is the traversing pass, which is after you make your first step, your foot is now at an angle relative to the line of engagement with your opponent. Right? So let's say you now want to go back. Let's say your initial pass was to the right, and now you want to go back to the left. So that is where you would then push off from your rear end. So you're really going to drive that left foot forward. But um, it's important when you're doing that to first turn the foot in the direction that you want to go. Otherwise, you can put stress on the knee uh, because you are kind of loading the knee on one foot and turning it at the same time. Um, and so the compass step is also tactically when you've hit and they, you want to keep them closed to one side, then you compass and that will basically put your sword in an advantageous position. Um, the other one is usually when their sword is presented in front of you and you want a traversing pass so that you just push their sword out of the way and put your point in their face. So that I, I kind of, because the Anonymo talks about them both in the same context, I kind of needed to throw both of them in there together. Yeah, no, I like that. I've got, I've got two points. Um, 
I'd, to kind of help emphasize that too, I think you brought up a good point there, Stephen. This is kind of a bonus tactical, like, gotcha thing that you can do to people. Is if you see as people who typically fight um, with a guard on their offensive side, so their right side, mm-hmm. um, so Strata, Cotolonga Alta, um, if you were to attack somebody like that with a Mandorito and they were to parry across their body, one of the things that you can always do is perform that compass step in your cut. So you lead mm-hmm. obviously with the sword and your and your step and so you're stepping through and then you can let that back foot trail and a lot of times because they're giving you a weak angle with their defense mm-hmm. going into Porta de Ferro Strata um, you'll probably blast through their guard and hit them in the head right. it's a fun little fun little gotcha thing that you can do um, right with the with just general things but power of changing angles yeah exactly yeah that that whole aspect of, of angulation um, one of the other things uh, that uh, I have thought about while you were talking about that was um with the compass step in particular um you know it's it's one of those things that dalagoke and i think you might have spoke to this a little bit martin but like dalagoke really makes it as like one of his core defensive tactics is always kind of like bringing the body behind the sword and um you see this a lot um as uh, as a defensive posture too um especially going into like chingiari porta de ferro a lot of times um, it's sort of a, almost like a reverse compass that, where that step is going back um, at an angle. Um, and so sometimes you've got this, you can do this, uh, can do this action um, both offensively and, and defensively. Um, so you can, sometimes this is a good way to retreat is to kind of create those compass steps going backwards. Yeah, definitely. And I really also like the, the point about knee health. Um, because yeah. I think it's a really important one as well. And to emphasize, like, since we need to turn our body, and usually we need to turn our front foot as well, we want to have our weight somewhat around the ball of the front foot in that kind of motion. And also it's one of those instances where too much traction is actually detrimental. Like, um, it's also a big part in dancing, right? If you If you have a lot of, like, turning motions as well, And also the reason why dancing floors are so smooth and also dancing shoes are so smooth because like having too much traction in the ground puts a lot of stress to towards the knee and really you need strong abductors and adductors so the the side muscles basically of your of your foot uh, of, of your leg to to absorb that kind of shock and yeah Stephen makes a good point of like still controlling that kind of motion and not Uh, letting your tendons do the work because those will give out sooner or later. Yeah, it's it's actually really interesting because um, you know usually when I teach that uh, in particular, like doing compass step going to the outside like that, if I'm I'm passing and then letting that back foot circle, one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is letting that back foot cross behind their back leg, um, and that's not only dangerous from you know, obviously like a, a, a health position. Uh, it's also dangerous from a grappling position because anytime you let that back leg go behind your, your front foot, um, you are basically susceptible to just somebody pushing you down. Like it's, it's super easy. You have no balance. Um, I, I see that a lot from people, uh, especially people who pride themselves on, on very circular footwork. I'll see them cross those legs like that rather than keeping that solid base. It's why one of my general rules is to usually keep my feet in line with my hips 
Um, and, and using that as like a, a framework, it helps you with that compass step of where do you stop that back foot. If you're stopping it in line with your hip, then it kind of prevents you from like letting it go too far. Um, right. Where, yeah. I, I definitely agree to your point, we, but we have to acknowledge that especially a bit later, like things like the inquartata, scansa de la vita, however you want to call it, <laughs> that's basically it, right? Getting, getting yeah. your back foot, the left foot, as far as towards the right as you can possibly imagine to close the opponent out on the inside or sometimes even not like uh, Paladini as well. He, he, he leaves the opponent, just dodges with the body and thrusts around the sword or from the inside. He has both ways. So I mean, that's kind of what the Anonimo that. does too. Yeah, he, on he his does, defenses. but notice, notice that the Anonimo leads with the front foot and it's a front foot step first and then the body leans and turns behind it. Behind so it's it, actually right. it's actually a turn of the hips, the courts. At least the way that I've seen in Palladini and the way that I view um, I think this is one of the first conversations you and I had, Stephen. We were talking about the Anonimo and how to do his Gordi d'Entrere. Um, because it does feel like it's more of a hip turn to get the hips like profiled and you're you're kind of turning the body this way. And the front foot is what steps out. Where I think a lot of times there's some old interpretations of the Incorta where it's sending the back foot looping around to turn the hips rather than the front foot stepping out and then the body kind of like turning behind it, which allows you to have more control over where your back foot goes rather than just like flinging that back foot behind you, um, which I think is, is the interpretation we see from people a lot. Yeah, so there definitely is both, right? Uh, I think in Capo Ferro it's also both. It's I, I don't really know how it's called. I think it's... Um, Scanso de la Vita is it's a typical thing, I think. Okay. It's also sometimes called Girata, so it's, there are lots of names for, for right. the same stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, it really is a, th a thing to, to move out of the way with the body turning and, and using that wide following step to get you out of the way laterally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Great. So... Um, uh, all right, let's, um, let's talk about on Pieta, on the foot. What is this? Is this House of the Dragon on the foot? What are we doing? You didn't watch House of the Dragon? You don't? No, I, I don't know no? on Pieta either. Oh, God. No. What is, what source is that in? Yeah. No, there's this, so going back to my whole, like, foot fetish thing, there's this, like, really gross scene in House of the Dragon where, like, you know, the queen's trying to manipulate this guy that's, like, a Machiavelli character, and she's, like, taking her sock off so that way he can look at her foot. It's typical okay. Game of Thrones style stuff. All right. Got Some it. people okay. will get that and they'll think it's funny, but you guys. Yeah. <laughs> not not Sorry, my thing, man. I, I have a kid. I, ca I can't afford the time to watch shows anymore. <laughs> yeah. I get I, it. Yeah. I get it. That was, that was before I had a child. So I'm, I'm there. Um, okay. So let's talk on Pieta on the foot. Uh, there are a lot of different ways to interpret this. Um, Martin, why don't you uh, kick it off? You really have to to emphasize the action for me because I yeah. really don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, actually. I don't either. Which apiede are we talking about here? So on the example. foot. Um, so a lot of times with the, the footwork in particular, uh, with apieda, we see um, actions that are, are described as on the on, on pieta. So this is almost a, a timing thing. Um but it, it is uh, sort of a, an element of footwork where we're combining actions of the sword with the step. 
So that's why I included it in our steps. So sometimes you're doing things that will be on Pieta. You'll do uh, two cutting actions that are in the, in the tempo or in the, of the step, right? Okay, so you're basically like uh, Marozzo did in the, in the earlier quote, like moving the feet with the body uh, mm -hmm. and the, the hand with the feet okay. together. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, yeah, so okay. Uh, you, I'll, I'll just start. Um, yeah, in comparison to some George Silver interpretations, I definitely think that in Bolognese swordsmanship, the actions of the hand are definitely to be combined with that of the feet. It's not like bringing the hand forward first, then stepping or something. I think they would consider that uh, some kind of waste of tempo. Basically, just if we're moving the hand forward and not bringing our body back there, then we're basically just offering the hand as a target. So I think it's, um, it's definitely very important to, to always accompany both Uh, together to, to reuse, uh, reduce the time that you need to, to make your actions as well. And like, um, like we said, with the, with the gathering steps, it's always like during that first gathering step, you're doing some kind of blade action, for example. Either you're going into a stringere, basically constraining the opponent's blade. Uh, sometimes you're beating the opponent's blade. Sometimes you're doing a faint attack or something like this. But you're always doing something in that time. Yeah. So this would probably be a good time to kind of help like the bring in the Anonymo because I think everything that you just spoke of really kind of touches on this quote from the Anonymo um, as he often succinctly describes most of the things that we try to conceptualize. Uh, he says, you'll notice that this half turn of the hand after he says the half turn of the hand is the, the cornerstone of the art. Um, uh, let's see. This half turn of the hand can be made in many ways. It is of such great importance, the cornerstone of this art. <laughs> and so let, let you know the, the manner of the modes in which you may make this half turn of the hand. I say that you should find yourself set in Cota Longa Strata with your right foot forward, then make a half turn of the hand by simply turning the weight. That, that's not the quote that I wanted. Um, there, we, It's the one above so it. This ingenious, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was, it's the one above it. Uh, the ingenious art of the sword consists above all of the half turn of the hand or a half turn of the hand. A full turn of the hand, sorry. And this half turn or full turn of the hand needs to accompany a half blow or a full blow. And this half blow or full blow needs to be accompanied by a half turn of the body. And this half turn of the body needs to be accompanied by a half turn or a full step, a half step, a half or a full step. And this half or full step has to need has a great need to be accompanied by a half or full tempo. And this half or full tempo needs agility and skill. <laughs> and this agility and skill requires courage. And this courage must be accompanied by judgment. And this judgment one cannot have without experience, the mother of all education. And this education we will give you. Is there a better like <laughs> summation of how to fence historically than that? That's, that's no. like everything in one paragraph. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, yeah. that's the end. The, like I said, the anonymous always comes through. Yeah, Always. he's got he's eminently quotable. Yeah, so that 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 basically extrain is everything. So you take your motion of the sword, and that motion of the sword is tied into a motion of the body, which is tied into a corresponding motion of the foot. And if it's a large motion of the sword, then it's a larger motion of the body. It's a larger motion of the foot. All of that has to be guided by being smart and practicing. And if you don't have gear on, like we wear now, then you better be brave because you're probably going to get whacked in the skull a couple times. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and and that's what that's what Manchiolino speaks to. You know, he says it's better to get hit with the uh, the strong of the sword than it is the part yeah. that'll actually do damage, which is the yeah. point of percussion. So, totally. you know, yeah, he said if you're gonna get hit, what they're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> make it not hurt as bad. Awesome. I think uh, we missing anything for footwork. What are we missing? Oh yeah, we, need- we got a few here. We got a few here. Shall I? Yeah, like a uh, stance. I think we need to talk about like where where the body weight is. Okay. Sure. Yeah. The Stephen Wade and you take it. You already talked about a bit, sure. uh, that kind of frontal forward leaning position. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think it was Guy Windsor had a pretty interesting article on front weighted systems versus back weighted or back weighted or lateral systems, and it's basically the idea that when you're back weighted, it's easier to move in a straight line. Um, it's harder to make a lateral pass when your weight is on your back foot, whereas if you're on a if you have your weight on your front foot, the natural step is to move at an angle relative to your opponent. Um, since the Bolognese is a largely angle-based system, um, then I believe that you want to be front-weighted. And also, as Joshua pointed out, I believe when you come into wrestling, it's highly advantageous to be in a front-weighted position than to be in a back-weighted position when you meet somebody. So we usually go you know, 60, 40 or something like that. But in reality, people tend to fence more or less how is comfortable. So when training, it's nice to really, I think, emphasize that forward lean so that you might have some forward lean when you're actually fencing and stuff going on. What's your take, Martin? Um, just just a question before I go into sure, this. Yeah. So, so forward lean, uh, sure. Um, but um, do you then also have like your body weight more on the front foot? Comparison to the back foot, or yeah, okay. So because the idea is that if your front leg is bent and your back leg is straight, which is how the anonymous usually describes your foot, uh, usually that will that front foot that back foot is pushing the weight of your body onto your front foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I actually like think it's a uh, it's slight misconception that it's like always the norm in Bolognese fencing to be mm-hmm. like more towards the front with the with the weight. Well, we certainly see, uh, like in the depictions of Marozzo, that most of the time there here is somewhere towards the front foot. He also has some where he is actually backwards. Sure, uh, like in Cotolunga de Stesa. For example, yes. Yeah. And I don't think we have the textual evidence to, to support that that as a, as a status quo. Um, Dalagokio writes... That both knees need to be uh, basically bent. So here, but you must be advised that your forward leg must be a bit bent at the knee, and its foot must point straight towards the enemy, and your rear leg must be a bit bent, with its foot somewhat on the diagonals in such manner that every movement will be full of grace. And then you have that uh, kind of bit without with the um, like normal kind of pace, and that front. Uh, move, movement forward and backward and stuff like this. So I think uh, while I agree that like leaning towards the front a bit is uh, can be advantageous, especially if you want to resist pressure from the front, right? Uh-huh. You can more easily absorb that into your structure and then towards the ground into your back foot. Um, we also see like uh, Anjali Vijani who describes uh, his 
es Guardia da Licorno, so es Seconda Guardia, Alta, uh -huh. Offensiva Perfetta, or something like this, right. as uh, being solely weighted on the back foot. So the front foot uh -huh. is free to do its big step and stuff like uh -huh. this. So I actually think it's, again, once again, dependent on where the opponent is. And while sure. I am usually, like, have that forward lean as well, because it denies also the a bit of the belly, it brings the shoulder a bit more in front and stuff like this. Also brings the, the hand closer towards the knee, where it's actually like where we are told to have it when we are in these Dretteguards. Right. And bring it out of the way. I I find myself more often than not like shifting between uh, my forward and back foot as needed. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I have a kind of a, a similar approach, I think. It's it's usually relatively progressive for me where it's measure dependent. Um, I'll kind of keep my, my profile stance, like it, you try to keep a straight back when I'm um, out of measure with my opponent, um, mostly because I want to keep structure in my guards, and I find that um, that's where I, I have the most structure. Um, and then as I start to progress into my opponent, um, that's when I'll usually start to so I'll usually start to let my shoulders come forward. Um, so especially if I'm going for a press action, like what Stephen was saying, um, I'll start to let those shoulders come forward. But I stay rooted in my hips, so my weight is always neutral in my hips. So that's kind of part of the whole idea of keeping that butt low. Is it keeps the weight and it keeps your structure in your hips and your feet will basically just kind of move around the the framework of your hips and then the shoulders can come forward which aligns the spine with that back leg and you can allow the weight to stay relatively neutral between your two feet as that weight starts to go forward so that way you're not overcommitted um, overall like going forward where sometimes you can get kind of caught up but um, the reason I say that especially with um, because I do take most of my instruction from sword and buckler in particular you know I find that like it, for example, um, Morato's uh, second attack, which I think is his second play with Sword and Large Buckler, um, is he comes in, he thrusts uh, a stoccata, and then from that stoccata, he attacks the leg with a mandrito. Um, the way that I see that safely to do that is you're coming in, you're thrusting with uh, initially in opposition of your opponent's sword. As they come to parry your sword down, um, you start to come forward with that buckler and if you let those shoulders kind of hinge forward so you hinge at the hips and let the shoulders come forward um, it allows you to kind of start to initiate a press on the outside of their hand which allows a free free cut to the leg then you can go through and progress through the rest of the play um, so I, I think of moments like that um, where like you can you can kind of start to like let that base come forward as you're trying to initiate a press or something and then like if if like in that play, your opponent were to pull away and deny you uh, spada or any sort of a close play type action uh, because your sword ends in Porta de Ferro Larga, then from there you can easily just recorrect your shoulders by pulling them back and you haven't lost anything in that overall attack. So, so I think this would be a great time to talk about straightening the leg, as the Anonimo describes it. Yeah, for sure. <coughs> So we'll go ahead and uh, let's see. Is it okay? It's a long wordy thing, so I won't read it exactly. So one of the advantages of being in a forward weighted position is that you can achieve 
uh, a very quick and easy retrograde movement by simply taking your um, your front foot from a bent knee to a straight knee that pushes you into a back weighted position. Uh, usually, I think I tested it, and when I did it on myself, I think my knee went back, I think, about 14 inches by just straightening the leg. And you can actually clear your head will go back even farther because, you know, it's like a giant lever. So you can move your head back about three feet uh, to void without actually having to take a step simply by straightening your back leg. Um, I think there's also uses of the straightening of the back leg in um, in making cuts. So I think one of the more interesting ones is the rising falso from Porti di Ferro Strada, which in my personal interpretation actually goes back behind you and you can prepare that correctly by uh, going into a rear weighted position and then coming forward with it again uh, kind of like you if you were going into Cotalunga Distesa or Cotalunga Lunga uh, but I, I really like the straightening of the bent leg as the anonymo describes it it's a fun way to play with uh, just fencing in general to just make voids that simply come from transitioning from a forward-weighted position to a back-weighted position. Yeah, yeah it, ba it basically is a hip hinge, right? Yeah. We are, mm -hmm. we are pushing the hip backwards, yep. in essence, uh, straightening out the front front leg and pulling the knee, therefore, backwards. It's one of those things that uh, came super natural to me as I practiced 133 before that. Oh. Because I really need to... Uh, you have this kind of um, that kind of depiction of straightening the the front leg, denying that lower opening as well, having also that really heavily emphasized forward lean as well, almost like Fabus kind of uh, stuff. And um, yeah, there you have it as well. So yeah, could also explain why in the Anonimo he's so far as I know the only source that has a series of attacks solely focused on attacking the opponent's foot. Uh, because if somebody goes into a, a rear-weighted position, they're inviting a strike to the foot. Otherwise, technically, striking the foot as a primary attack is kind of not so... Yeah, it's kind of a horrible idea. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> That's why Manchelino says it's two points. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do, so... Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, they're, they're definitely voids of the body. And it could also be what um, Manciolino and Marazzo are talking about when they say make yourself small behind your buckler or make yourself small behind your sword. Mm. Um, that could be either them uh, dropping the hip height and kicking that back leg out, or it could be that they're pulling back and they're kind of like straightening that front leg to naturally like make themselves small and pull that head down behind the buckler in an action. So, two two potential interpretations. That that's uh, it's that's a deep cut there that people can explore if they want. But yeah, <laughs> deep it's it's well, it's, it's something. It I, you know that's one of the things that I think the anonymo is really great for for people. Uh, the anonymo can be an overwhelming text, but at times the anonymo can also be a Rosetta Stone for the rest of the Bolognese texts. And so um, sometimes when Marazzo and Manciolino say stuff that probably just seemed kind of like matter of fact to them sometimes you have to go to the anonymo to figure out what that matter of fact is because he actually spells it out you know right. like 
I mean, the whole half turn of the hand, half turn of the foot, half turn of the body, full step, half step, that whole thing, you know, like is something similar of what is, what is making yourself small behind the body? You know, what does uh, that mean? Right. Exactly. They don't, they don't really tell Practical you. Practical terms. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, so if we're now uh, at defending our legs with good footwork, we might just as well talk about like pulling the, the forward leg back and maybe the gamba levata as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. So <laughs> we'll start with the slip first. Um, so um, Martin, why don't, you, uh, why don't you take us away there? Yeah, I basically see that as a kind of escalation to just straightening out the front knee. So if I need some more distance... And it, in essence, is pulling the forward leg back, uh, basically gathering it towards your back leg, uh, getting it out of the way while in the same tempo, in the same movement, you're pushing your blade out either to throw a cut at their arm or maybe their face or usually uh, thrusting them towards the chest or face as well. Yeah, so that's really important. And uh, it's surprisingly hard to do to not just... <laughs> get the leg out of the way and then missing that you are supposed to cut or thrust in the same time as well. So the the Italians have a cool name for it. So far as I know, they're the only old source, at least, that has a name for a slip. I think before it's just sort of an implied thing. That's lavare di piede, which is just fancy for lift the foot. Um, and I think just like Martin's saying, it's a great slip technique. Um, I find that this is something you do when you're really, when you have a real dance partner as a fencing partner, like you guys are really kind of jived into each other's rhythms, then as they come forward, you're bringing your foot back. And I think the advantage of, and what distinguishes this is you don't actually let that foot touch the ground. It's like you bring it back, at least as the anonymous describes it, and it's sort of just hovering over the ground in kind of stasis because from there you can transition to just a pass back if you want to if they're really giving you a lot of force or you can then throw it right back forward in which case it becomes a ripresa di piedi um, kind of based on their actions but the the thing that is interesting is you leave it kind of hovering to buy yourself time and space and then you can make a tactical action with it afterwards i think that's kind of neat that um that the anonymo, at least, is granular enough to describe something like that. Yeah, that's um, that's and it's it's interesting because it's a core mechanic for what I see as a wide play attack at your legs. So a lot of times you see a wide play provocation where somebody will attack your legs with the intent at, at wide measure with the intent of you trying to strike at their head so they can set up something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's kind of a, a core mechanic. You see it a lot in the Ricardiano, which is super fascinating. He loves doing that. Um, but yeah, there's a... Um, so the reason I say that is because, um, like, you see these interesting progressions where, like, it's a, it's a core thing. A lot of times, Manchiolino actually does a really good job of dividing, like, different types of leg defenses where he has, oftentimes he'll give you four leg defenses, three or four, depending on the, the thing, right? And so usually there's one that will slip and attack the hand, right? And I see that as his counter to a wide attack, right? And uh, you're usually cutting, uh, he, he doesn't have you cut past the Stratigard, so you're kind of like, you're, you're attacking the hand, but you're not attacking in a way where you're un 
encumbering yourself. I think the Anonimo approaches this. I think it's place uh, 12, 13 or 12 or something like that, um, where if, uh, if somebody attacks your leg and you're in Porta de Ferro Strata, you slip the leg and you thrust them in the face. Right. That's what um, I was just thinking of that same one, yeah. Yep, his, his Porta de Ferro defenses. So um, you've got, you, you have this kind of like, overall like arching thing right it's, it's generally i see that as the wide play um when somebody goes narrow um or when somebody steps in like they want to go narrow so they they do a passing step towards you with their leg attack then usually the best thing to do from what i found and what i've gleaned from reading uh, mangiolino in particular is that you actually want to step into their step to defend and that's when you change the the leg defense um that's a note we can talk about that more in the tactics um, and why that works, but um, you don't usually when somebody is extending themselves by passing with their cut, um, it becomes dangerous to try to slip because you can't like they can change their measure based on the length of how far they're extending their shoulder height, their hip height, everything like that. Um, so there's a chance you might still get cut even if you try to slip. Cool. And I think you actually you you just since you talked about the anomo, I think we can have one more add one more. F- type of step into the mix, which is the cambiare di piede, yeah. which is just Italian for change of the foot. And so that's when somebody's coming in and you pull the threatened, generally you're, it's going to be a leg attack and you're pulling the threatened leg back in, in one kind of fell swoop. You're then stepping with the other foot. So it's commonly going to be like, you're going to be right foot forward in a profile position in Porta di Ferro Stretta, and they're going to try and snipe your leg. Um, and you want to take advantage of the tempo they're giving you because they really have to extend themselves to strike your leg. So you pull your leg back uh, and then you land it and you push off really fast and come in with a, a left foot pass and a thrust uh, on the outside typically. Um, yeah, kind of an all one smooth motion. It's a, I, if, when you can do that, it's, it's fun. I think it's hard to time that correctly. And to do a good cambiare di piede in tempo, but I think when you do, it feels quite, quite nice. Yeah, that's actually in Dalagocchi as well, where he actually does it with the, the player that I remember at least with the uh, left leg in front at first, where he says something along the line, uh, draw your left leg back and then speedily, uh-huh. so make uh-huh. haste, um, advance with your right one, throwing right. an imbrocata, I think. Um, yeah, it really is like one of those motions where you get your feet behind your body weight, but you basically leave your upper torso basically in the same place. Yeah, yeah. So you're still in front, you can still push forward. Yeah, it really uh, is a nice way to basically deny the lower openings to go back in there on top. So that's quite awesome. It's also, I think, um, one of those motions that is quite often provoked when uh, the Bolognese masters attack to the feet actually to then strike towards an upper opening. Because you will, as you're retreating and leave your body weight in front, you will fall forward. You're not moving back anymore. Right. Yep. That's the key. The cambiati piedi is your, your body weight stays in the exact same place over the earth, essentially. It's just your foot moves. And so mm-hmm. you're able to do that quickly. That was great. Joshua, what do you think, man? Yeah, so it's, it's actually really interesting because there's a, a section in, um, in Manciolino's, uh, it's the second half of his first chapter of book four, where he's talking about sword and large buckler. And he basically gives us 
uh, sort of the beauty of this action, right? Where you could do this, it, when we were talking about before the tactics of catching somebody on their step, this actually allows you to prevent that. It's almost like a, um, a decision point, right? So you can come back to a decision point by bringing that foot back and then either going back in or passing all the way back, depending on what your opponent does. So um, an illustration of this is Mangiolino, his defense against a Mandrito to the head or to the leg. Um, when the opponent is passing towards you with their thrust in order to give you a Mandrito to the leg, you read that as their sword starts to drop down, you step back into it and you parry with the false edge of your sword and then slice their leg with a reverso. If they instead pull their hand up and start to attack you in the head, you can't pass, you don't want to pass back into that because it creates a, a grappling situation for your opponent where they can have leverage over top of you. It's a weak position with your sword. So what he does is he has you finish that passing step backwards and you defend by going into, um, into um, I think you're going to go into Chingiari Porto, de, or into Porto de Ferro Strata, excuse me. Right. So um, it's an interesting thing where like it, it creates this tactical decision point where you can change how you react to what your opponent is doing based on what they're doing. Um, but yeah, the footwork, um, you know, it's to kind of like broaden that scope, um, you know, that's that action of bringing the foot back and then bring it back in or switching feet um, is a core mechanic that we see from Morato. Uh, in particular, for his defense against a reverso, he likes to slip when somebody tries right. to cut a reverso because it's naturally shorter um, of a cut than a mandrito is. And he also uses it as his defense against a left-handed opponent. He initiates most of his actions with a changing step um, uh, because you are basically trying to get behind your opponent's sword when they're, when they're a lefty. So a uh, few, few notes that I had for that one. So yep. great. I think we did we cover all the feet. Do you want to talk about the Gambalovada? Mm-hmm. Oh, the uh the word where you throw them down. Well <laughs> <laughs> I think um yeah it's it's more or less just a more extreme version of Levade Pieri. Um basically while we're staying with the body weight in the same place, the the front foot can either just move towards the back foot or it can move even behind the front foot. And then the most extreme version that I know of is like moving the the upper torso forward to still form like some kind of scale, staying in balance. So you're really denying that lower opening. And yeah, we we also have uh, to just acknowledge that um, they put a big emphasis on when you are attacked towards the leg that you generally want to defend that with some kind of footwork only really when it's not possible anymore then you'll engage the blade on the on the lower lines mostly like you said Joshua stepping in then as well and really closing the distance maybe going even for a grappling kind of action or something like that yeah great yeah so I think there are two ways to illustrate the Gamblovada and one of them like the more extreme one that um, Martin was describing is with a sort of a mule kicking action going backwards where you're almost like like forcing the momentum of the, the weight of the body back. Um, it's not clear if that's what Manciolino is talking about when he says to leap back in his retreats that he does. Uh, but there are oftentimes moments when we see Manciolino say to 
leap backwards um, mm. in our de- oh. for your defense. Forgot about the leaps. Yeah. 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 Turks. So uh, he could be he could be describing something similar to what uh, Marazzo actually gives a, a, a more succinct uh, definition of. Um, I don't have Marazzo in front of me, and I'm not going to read from the Wicked Hour version. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, the location of it. If, if people want to read Marazzo's description is chapter 35, or capital, cap, Capitalo 35, ch- chapter 35 of Marazzo uh, is where you'll find it. It's the very last section of uh, Sword and Small Buckler and Marazzo. So. Yeah, we played around with the leap a bit. Um Tactically, when we were working it in Manchelino, I uh, it looks like it's mostly, in my take, he's leaning back and coming with a thrust kind of around the outside, and you're in deep to your opponent. And um, what we found is when you jump backwards, if your torso is moving, is in the process of moving backwards, you can actually cover... A significant distance with a jump. Um, I don't really know how to describe it, but basically your body is already kind of moving that way and you just keep it going that way by catching air. Yeah. Um, so if you have to, if you're striking to a high target and you're doing it with a backward lean, by the time you actually came forward to cover, you would be extremely vulnerable. So as you lean back, you strike and then you just jump to get away and then you in at least one of them, change your feet in the air to Cota Lunga Alta. I'm I'm really not quite spry enough to do that on uh, grass, <laughs> um, but it is physically possible as far as I know. Um, but that was how I found That's... that when you basically get in deep to a target, and the only way to get out is to jump. Yeah, yeah. I think Manchelino favors it with the uh, partisan in Rotella as well. Has, oh yeah, okay. Uh, has a has a salto as an exit as well. Yeah, and there it really feels like you're most likely parrying the opponent's blow to either one or the other side. You thrust them, and then you are jumping out of that. And then I don't know, maybe you're drawing your sword, maybe you're creating the distance to to do some kind of motion like that. Uh, we don't really know. Yeah, in Dadagokyo, I don't think there are leaps. To be honest, I don't think there are. No. There's one in the Anonimo, I think. In Marozzo, maybe the in the two-handed sword section, we are like the falso dritto as an exit. We are told to to do that while the, the left leg's still in the air as well. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Cool. Yeah. Really cool. <laughs> one and All a right. half hours footwork. I knew it. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll um, we'll wrap yeah. that one up there. So suffice to awesome. say that you can consider a good Bolognese bout essentially a dance-off with swords. Yeah, definitely. And if I have to to give one last tip, is really focus on those bent knees. Don't mm-hmm. don't stand too upright, too straight. It's really hard to to generate some kind of forward or backward motion if you have straight knees because you always need to drop your body weight first to then push off. And the other one, uh, try to stay with your balance within your both feet. So uh, don't reach out too far. Don't get your don't get your body weight out forward. Uh, do that kind of scale motion in a 
in a mandrito kind of way, so way you're really reaching out far and you have your back foot in the air or something like this because you don't have balance, just take a second step. <laughs> yeah. Right, I, I was going to add one thing to it before we go. Oh, go ahead, Joshua. You're going to do something? Yeah, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so when I was starting out, what I found really useful was to do lots of leg exercises. So it turns out that the stronger your legs are, the easier it is to do. And uh, if you really want to do Bolognese swordsmanship, your legs should just always be sore. Yeah. So um, what I found, uh, and probably the most helpful thing, I, I agree with you, Martin, you know, keeping that, that balance. Um, balance exercises are great. Um, another thing to really keep in mind, too, is uh, the directionality of your toes. So always keeping your toes in, in line with your knees. Um, a trick to that is to try to, when you're uh, balancing on your on your foot, try and keep your, your weight in your pinky toes. Well, actually oh. keep your feet in line with your knees. Um, if you push on the ground with your pinkies, um, it's a, a weird toe to, to emphasize. But um, yeah, so I think, uh, I think we really kind of covered a lot of it. Um, Right. Yeah. I, I just want to say one last thing because I sneakily <laughs> uh, introduced basically Giovanni Dallagocchi's ordering because we just learned uh, how to throw blows, how to stand in guard, and now how to move from guard to guard. So, <laughs> 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 so I mean, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. sneaky Martin, very sneaky. <laughs> okay, so so we can. Uh, Since we are not probably talking about defenses and provocations next, we can just skip towards the tactics next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Uh, we can talk about defenses. I, I actually, I like uh, the structure of Dalagokie's treatise. I mean, you know, he was standing on the shoulder of giants, and so he had, he had the sense of how to, to make it simpler. That's right. And, um, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty intuitive way to break the art of defenses.